Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of the award-winning podcast, Entrepreneurs on Fire, and you're listening to the Excelsior Journeys with George Soroy. Prepare to ignite. So would you say that that's kind of like the lightning bolt moment for you? And that's you, what I moment? taught myself how to draw, was actually the Little Mermaid, drawing stills of Ariel. I've got better things to do tonight than so die. So jumped out of his chair and said, who the F is this? I remember walking out of the theater with him saying, I'm going to write Halloween I'm sex. rather impressed with your research. Rarely do people ask me about children in the car. It doesn't have to be perfect, just do it. You know, throw yeah. some spaghetti yeah. against the wall, see this if it sticks. This is George Soroy saying to all of you, ever upward. And welcome back to Excelsior Journeys. This is George Soroy. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for tuning in to the latest addition to the Rising Tide Broadcast Network. It has been such a real fun ride here. It's been over 125 episodes. We are not stopping anytime soon. And it's always fun to revisit some previous guests and see what they have been doing. And when I heard that uh, Dara Kalima, author and poet, who was here at around this time last year in February, it turns out that she had recently made the leap to be to speaking on an off-Broadway stage. And I knew that I needed to get her on here so that way she can tell her story of this because there are so many people out there, myself included, who would love that opportunity. And so here she is to tell us all about it. It is uh, my pleasure to reintroduce my friend, Dara Kalima. Dara, how are you? I'm cold. <laughs> <laughs> it's snowing we're in the middle of a snowstorm here in new york so oh man <laughs> yeah that's one thing i one thing i don't miss it's really funny when when cheryl made her move up there in 2005 you probably remember this from 2005 to summer of 2006 we dealt with the first we dealt with a transit strike then we dealt with the in january i think it was like the the highest snowfall on record at that time then we dealt with a then we dealt with the hottest summer on record and then followed that up in july with a blackout so it was talk about an initiation into new york it was it was something that i will never ever forget and i used the same phrase over and over again the same phrase i told her when we watched uh, for your consideration the latest christopher guest movie after watching so many great ones in a row and then that one i just remember leaning over to her in the theater and just saying it's usually much better than this and <laughs> i had to say that so often <laughs> with, with during that first year in New York, just it's usually much better than this. And thankfully, the rest of the time it was. So, I mean, I'm happy for snow because everywhere else has been getting snow and New York hasn't. And I'm mm -hmm. very jealous. But also, it's really ridiculously cold. So I'm like, yay, snow. Oh, wait, snow brings cold. Like, right. And no. it's just like, we still have to commute <laughs> in this. You know, just yeah. Your, your feelings don't, your, your feelings kind of change when you're, when you're a kid, you know, because when you're a kid, you want to, you hear that, that word snow days, it's like, yay, let's go outside. Let's build a snowman, like uh, whatever. Let's go, you know, find the latest, the find the biggest hill to sled down and everything. But then as you get older, it's just like, wait a minute. I, you know, my, my commute still has to happen. <laughs> I still See, have to. The problem to go is there. With, with the pandemic there's no snow day. So now we're just like, sit yeah. at your computer and work. Wait, mm -hmm. what? Now we don't even get to sleep in? Like, I don't understand. Right. There's no yeah. benefit to the snow. Right. There's no, there's no <laughs> excuse to use with the snow. It's just like, all right, now what? And it's, and it's always a colder 
you know, like uh, it's always a colder snowfall than it is in January than it is in December. Yes. It just feels it. This this is the kind of this is the kind of year. This is the time of year when you just want to put on your DVD of The Shining and then just kind of lose yourself and just kind of curl up on the couch with a blanket. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's 20 degrees right now. So, Ugh. yeah. Ugh. Yeah. I, I'd say that that's one thing I don't miss. But at the same time, we get plenty of that here. And and our our weather in St. Louis is so schizophrenic. It's it's insane. So so at but at the same time, over in New York, there are Broadway stages, there are off Broadway stages, or off off Broadway stages, and you know, like and there's always something going on, even with even with you know various stoppages because of the pandemic. But here we are, and here you are, a now a now an experienced person on the off-Broadway stage. Tell us a little bit about the the kind of performance that you were able to give on there. Yeah, so, oh my goodness. It was a, I don't even know where to start with this whole thing. It was a tricky show, I have to say. It was a, it was a tough show to do for multiple reasons. So I started taking a random medicine. It gives you dry mouth. And, mm. you know, when your nerves, when your nerves are really wired, yeah. Any of those things get worse. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and so the day of the show, I was really an emotional wreck for a number of reasons. Mm -hmm. And I'm not really a crier, but I was crying all morning. Really? All morning. Yeah. Yeah. I was in an emotional state of I was in a very emotional state and I can go into that a little bit later, but I was in a huge emotional state. And so I like my friend, I go to my friend's house because she lives near the theater and she's trying to make me happy. And somehow <laughs> the last time we traveled together, we discovered this song. It's like, what is it? The chicken song. And I can't, I, I can't even remember the name of the song, but it's an old song from like the seventies. It's from the guy who looks like Prince, but isn't Prince. <laughs> and he in the middle of the song breaks out and does the chicken sound and he literally goes and it's just ridiculous in the middle of the song and so <laughs> more stay maybe yes yes more stay in the time oh yeah yes. oh yeah and so the bird yes the, the bird. bird yes yes and so, <laughs> she's in her living room doing the bird for me trying to get me to laugh <laughs> because she knows I'm so anxious about this show. And so I get to the theater and I'm also in a mood because I really like the show was very conflicting for me. I really wanted to give my best performance right. and simultaneously I almost pulled out of the show. So wow. I had this whole internal conflict about being there. And so I get there and I'm not really talking to anyone. And I'm also like, I, I have these two different sides of me. Because mm -hmm. I come from a theater background, my whole two, I have three degrees, but two of my degrees are in theater. Nice. I used to be a stage manager. I used to do all of that. So when I walk into a theater and I'm in a theater mode, I'm real like, like when I'm in performing mode, I'm kind of focused. And so I'm laser extra focused now. I'm not really trying to talk to nobody. Mm -hmm. There's six of us who are performing, one being the host, the other five of us all representing our borough, lasered in on what I'm supposed to be performing. And right. I had just changed my lineup a little bit two days before. So I'm trying to remember. I didn't, I'm not a, I'm not a poet who memorizes most of their work because mm -hmm. I have like, I have literally at this point, 1800 poems to my name. So Whoa. there's no way to memorize that wow. much. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's prolific right there yeah. exactly so wow. 
I, I did memorize like half of my set on purpose, but I had tweaked the end of my set to make me feel comfortable being on the stage. Mm-hmm. But now I'm nervous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now I have this medicine in my system. And so I I am like, this is going to be a powerful set, but I'm like having this mind game. Mm-hmm. And so we're in the backstage. We're all having a good time. The room slowly empties out. I'm in the middle of the I'm in the middle of the set. There's, so there's five of us. I'm number three. And so I'm finally getting ready. And I I have this like I have like one one of those sprays that is supposed to help you have moisture. Yeah. So I mm-hmm. do it once. I'm fine. And then right before I go, I spray one more time. I get on the stage. I start the first poem. Sahara Desert. I could not like there was no moisture in my mouth. Oh no, whatsoever. <laughs> and, now before now before we before we start, you know, like talking about like what it is that you said, let's rewind a little bit. Yes. Um, to the beginning of this because this is one you know like this one hell of a journey to make it on that stage. <laughs> yeah. So first of all, like let's, let's tell us a little bit about the show itself. What's it called? So that was Inspired Words, NYC Voices, particularly. Mm -hmm. It was at the Triad Theater in New York City. It was a, so the Inspired Word is a standard show. It's a, it's a well-known open mic venue here in New York City. Mm -hmm. And so they've been doing shows for, I think this is like they're entering their 13th year at this point. Yeah. And so they have several venues across New York and they managed to broker a deal with the Triad Ooh, about five or six years ago. Mm-hmm. And so they have a standard spot. And, and the Triad is an off-Broadway theater house. It is well known. This is a place where Lady Gaga got her start. A lot of names have been through that place. And right before my performance, I, my church actually reached out to me and was like, hey, we're really excited for you because that was the first home for our church when we first started in New York. <laughs> so wow. like all these places start in this venue mm-hmm. and it's just a small little theater in Upper West Side, but it's well known again, like Lady Gaga, so many names have come through this theater. And so it's like, it's a it's sort of like a variety show place. You get all different types of shows that come through there. The the My friend Dara, really her name, her mm-hmm. father was the world's most famous xylophone player. Wow. And so he was doing shows there. Her mom has done shows there. He's actually the son of a famous actor as well, but I would get his name wrong. So I'm not going to say that. Like I'd have to Google him and get the name because I will never get it right. But right. like they're, they're a legacy family, but he used to play there. So I've been in the triad as an audience member to watch him do his thing. But the triad is just well-known venue. So I was one of the people chosen. This was, so NYC, so Inspired Word has been doing shows there for a few years now. And I was originally approached when they first got this deal, mm-hmm. but I hesitated. Mm. And I will say that that's partially my fault. I hesitated, not sure if I could really make the commitment. And by the time I actually approached them saying, I got this, I can do it. They rescinded the offer. So Mm. it took a long time to get back into their good graces to be able to do this show with them. Yeah. And so, and I mean, I had still been doing shows with them, but I had not, they had to prove my worth again to be able to get the spot. And it had always been their dream to bring the, particular this particular show which is the nyc voices show so they do other types of show but the nyc voices which is the five boroughs being represented that show had never been on this off-broadway stage before oh so and i'm always one of the bronx representatives 
Right. So I was brought in because I represent the Bronx very loudly and proudly. And so and very probably ignorantly that. at that point. <laughs> <laughs> so one time I get real street is when I represent the Bronx. <laughs> That's the only time hey, my, you're like, oh my, oh, da- she, my dad she, grew she, up there. No, you know, like yeah, no that. judgment. That's all. <laughs> Any other time you may not know I'm actually from the Bronx. So <laughs> But so I was one of the people chosen. I was the Bronx representative that night. So this is the first time the NYC Voices as a grouping of a show came Mm -hmm. to the triad and did their show. So I was the Bronx representative. And so it was Bronx, Brooklyn, Staten Island, Long Island. So I think it started with Staten Island. It went to Queens, I want to say. Then you had the Bronx. And I think Brooklyn and then Manhattan was the ending. I don't really Mm -hmm. remember the order. Yeah. In the end. But it was an amazing it was an amazing show. And I think it was fascinating that it became a very political show because that tends not to be how he lines up his shows. Yeah. But a lot of us leaned that way that night. So it was just an amazing show. And actually, um, I'm either the one who brought in the most people who performed or the second mm-hmm. most. The last person who came in was the person who tipped us over. He came in at the last minute of the lineup and he was able to tip us over to being full. But when wow. you actually counted, I actually sold 29 tickets. So I sold a third of that house, even wow. though there were six of us selling tickets that night. Man, that's, yeah. that's great. It's great. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm gonna correct that. I sold a fourth, a quarter of that house, even though there were six of us supposedly selling tickets that night. That's still great. You know, that's still, you know, bringing in, bringing the people in. Like, that's what this yeah. is all about, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was great. And I, I, I wanted to pull out for reasons, but I, for political reasons, I'm actually no longer aligned with this, 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 this promoter or this group after that. Oh, show. really? Yeah. Really? I chose not to, even though I had been with them for five full years at that point, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. I d- at that point, after that show, I decided no longer to promote, perform with them. Mm. Um, but so I've like literally severed my entire accounts from them. <laughs> um, oh, man. Yeah. But they, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what wow. to say after that point. All right. That's slightly <laughs> awkward. <laughs> it is. It was. Yeah. It was. There was a Facebook post that just did not sit well with my soul. And as a political mm-hmm. poet, I had mm-hmm. to make, and it's something It was very fascinating that years ago, years and years ago, when I was originally thinking about performing, like mm-hmm. years ago, one of my favorite poets, Stacey Ann Chen, mm-hmm. she was one of the Broadway poets on like Deaf Poetry Jam yeah. on Broadway. She has, I was at one of her talks years ago. She was talking about having to decide what opportunities you take and what you don't that align with your brand or not. Right. And sometimes you have to walk away from things that don't fit your brand. Mm-hmm. And so right before, two weeks before the show, I saw a post that completely did not sit well with me and my brand as a political poet, as a Black Lives activist, or as a as a as an activist type person. Mm-hmm. And so I sat there for two weeks trying to figure out if I could do the show. Mm. And so I decided in the very I decided to do the show because one, the people who were coming to see me were coming to see me. Yeah. Um, they weren't coming because of the the brand or the anything. They were excited for me. They mm-hmm. weren't they they weren't tied to everything else. And so I wanted to give them the best show possible. And I yeah. still wanted to say I did an off Broadway show, right? Like exactly. I had this interview yeah. because I did an off Broadway show. Right. So <laughs> let me go do the best I could for the show, for the opportunity, for the people who have faith in who I am. 
mm-hmm. and then I can sever ties after that point. So I have since walked away from that community. I'm grateful for everything they did for me in the past, mm-hmm. but sometimes your politics have to be more than what the money can do for you. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. But that, the show that's... was great. Yeah. <laughs> Enough. <laughs> I mean, after I handled the Sahara issue. Right, right. So... <laughs> So let's so let's get back then to that moment. Like you had the oppor- you have the opportunity to be on an off Broadway stage. You realize that this is something that does not come around very often. An opportunity like this. So you, so obviously you're taking it. You're gonna see this through this this event through, and there you are. You're on the stage. When did it, was there a moment that, that hit you was just like, I am on, on an off-Broadway stage. Like I am where so many people want, you know, like would love to be. I, you know, that's a, that's a fascinating question. I don't think, I don't think that moment ever hit. I think after it was over, I think after it was over, because I've been on stages that are bigger. They're just not, they don't have the same definition of yeah yeah, they don't have the same notoriety they don't have the title of that but Mm -hmm. i've been on stages that were bigger than that i've been on stages that have been far more intimidating in some ways because it's so dark and you can't see anything Mm -hmm. but i think there there was still something there was still an excitement to it there was still like i can't like whenever you're on a stage and you can't see the audience Mm -hmm. it's terrifying (laughs) there's still there's still this like you're talking into the void mm-hmm. and it's, it's not the same as looking at a computer screen where all you see are, are boxes and no faces. That's right. terrifying in its own way. But this is like, I know there's people there and I can't even tell what the feedback is. Right. Like that's a weird mm. thing, yeah. but it was so fascinating because also, again, I'm a very political poet. I don't like as much as the personality wise, if you're talking to me, I may hold my punches, but when I'm performing, I'm not. And mm. so it's very fascinating. My whole front row were, it was like a, it was like a family of white people sitting in front of me and they were all very giggly and laughing. And then my poems started getting very serious and they started getting very uncomfortable. (laughs) It was very, it was very interesting to watch their, their, their engagement change. And I was like, Oh, this is why I do this work. Okay, mm-hmm. I'm supposed to be here. Yeah. <laughs> That's when I got really comfortable <laughs> and settled into my performance. Then I was like, okay, right. let's go. <laughs> you know? So you thought this was fun and games. Now right. I'm gonna crack my knuckles and we're gonna go real. We're gonna, we're there gonna you serious go. in this performance. So I nice. think it was a point where I settled into the performance after I could handle the situation physically. But I, I I don't know that I had a moment where I was, because I came to do the performance. So I think it was when it was over, when everyone was really like greeting me and I could see how many people were at the theater mm-hmm. that I really started going, oh, I did the thing. And people were proud of the thing. Because I think until, for me, until, I, until the show is over, I'm mm-hmm. focused on doing the show. I'm focused on doing the best performance I'm supposed to. So right. I don't get to really, I'm not like in the middle of it. Because if I did that, then I completely lose my whole performance ability. Right. But I think it was after when I, people like one person, you know, there was that whole thing going along at social media is where they were like, I don't know what song it is, but they understood the assignment. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know this woman. It was a friend of a friend. I'm walking down the steps as I leave. And she goes, you understood the assignment. And I laughed so hard. I almost <laughs> peed on myself. Like, I was just like so caught off guard by her saying that. that I was like, wait, 
That's, that's so cool. Oh, I did my job. Yay. There you go. There you go. That's what, that's what this is all about. You know, like that's so, you know, so you're, you're on there and everything and you're able to get past that dry mouth. You're able to start talking. And was there a moment where it just kind of like, where you just felt everything just kind of flow, you know, just kind of flow out of you or was there almost like a struggle every time to kind of put one word in front of the other? Yeah. So there's a point. I, so I went, I ebbed and flowed between those two. Like I got, mm -hmm. I struggled for the first poem, which is actually one of my, it's my Bronx poem. And cause we had to do a poem representing our neighborhood. So right. first poem was my Bronx poem and my poem sort of, I, I always I'm a theater person so my set always is like a theatrical performance even if it's not mm -hmm. theatrical it's, it is always like an arc it's always telling a story it's always an experience so I started like big Bronx and brought it personal 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 until you realize I'm really talking about racism on some mm -hmm. level and yeah. so I started with like this is the Bronx and then I then I brought it to like my grandfather's uh, my grandparents and dry cleaners and then I brought oh, it nice. to like my dad teaching me how to swim or trying to and then I brought it to a little bit closer to racism. And then I brought it like home with this other piece in the mm. end. Um, but like, so the Bronx poem was where I struggled because now I'm realizing I have like no saliva. And mm. interestingly enough, the producer handed me water and like my roommate saw me and she goes, for half a second, I could see you try to figure out how you were going to end this set. If wow. you were going to be nice or if you were going to go full on because a lot of people were like you should burn that theater down when you're done with the poem, when you're done with the set and i i mean i had a whole like am i going to i've had other friends who have gone through this group yeah and at the end sat there did their last poem and gave verbally two middle fingers and walked off the stage like wow. people have burned down the stage with this group sometimes and mm -hmm. i was like i can't do that because my friends deserve it if i was not doing the off-Broadway show, if I wasn't a professional, I may have gone that route. Yeah. But I was doing an off-Broadway show. People paid too mm -hmm. much money to see that type of performance for me. So yeah. I didn't want to do that, but I also needed to leave in power. So I had to think about how mm -hmm. I did how I left the stage, right? Yeah. So either way, I I get through that Bronx poem. I do the the dedication to my grandfather, because actually the day of the show was my grandfather's birthday. And oh, then the next wow. day is also my grandfather, my uncle's birthday, who's my godfather. Mm. And they're both veterans. And I purposefully dressed in a camo des design dress. So nice. I was there for war. And like there's messages mm -hmm. in everything I do, because again, theater professional. Yep. <laughs> and then, and oh, then yeah. Like, I get to the poem about my dad, uh, my dad trying to teach me to swim. And I didn't, I wrote this poem two years, a year and a half ago. Mm -hmm. People liked it, but I didn't think of it as really a performance poem. But I brought it back for this because it ebbed and flowed into the next, the arc I was setting up. And the people in front of me are laughing hysterically because like there's some, there's like some, some a little, you know, sarcasm in the beginning of the poem. And then they noticed that I switched tones in the middle yeah. of the poem and they were like, oh, oh no, we can't laugh at this poem anymore. And so they're mm. uncomfortable in front of me and yeah. I keep going and I'm like, I'm in my stride. I got mm -hmm. this home now. And nice. they're uncomfortable and everyone else is quiet because they're really like, oh, she's hitting points now. She's bring she's bringing receipts on this. And I'm going, <laughs> going, going. And so it was like, 
I, at that moment, I was in my stride. I was in my lane and it just landed so well. And then mm -hmm. the next poem is actually two poems that I blended together. And that's where I'm really ending the set. But I, I um, married the two poems together because I wanted them to, I didn't want anyone to clap and I wanted you to hear what I was doing. Yeah. I wrote the poem separately, but one is sort of like, <clears throat> one is like a singing poem. And the singing poem leads into another poem that says, we be singing our bleeding. And so I wanted mm. you to hear me singing and then go, oh, wait, did she just say she'd be singing her bleeding? Was she just singing her bleeding and I wasn't paying attention? So right. I wanted you to hear that message. But I changed the ending of the poem because when I read that poem, typically it's a mm. pleading poem. It's me mm. going, we be singing our bleeding. Like, can you just listen to me? And I was like, I'm not going to beg on this stage. Mm. I will not beg on this stage in this moment. That it's will like never you will, happen. It's not like, will you listen to me? It's no, you will listen to me. Exactly. So I had yeah. to change the tone of it. But when I changed the tone of it, I had to change the end of it because mm. the end of it usually ends with a little bit like, because I'm usually pleading, I usually change it to the end of like, or this is what we're going to do. And it doesn't land when the whole poem sounds stronger. So I had to yeah. change the lines a little bit. And because I changed the lines and because I had changed the lines two days before I get there, they were mm -hmm. not finalized in my head. And you see oh, me no. on stage go, oh. <laughs> but I do that and I'm in heightened emotion, but I'm only doing it because I realized I missed the line two lines before where I'm at now. So I can't yeah. go back. And mm -hmm. so I'm just like, oh. Or we're just going to do this instead. <laughs> <We're> just <Nice. laughs> just in the poem, in my set, say thank you to everyone. And I walk away. It's the end of the poem. It's the end of my 15 minute set. That's one hell of an improv right there. <laughs> I mean, but I've done that before on stage too when I was a kid. Oh, you there. have? Okay, that's good. <laughs> so I've done that. Like, I'm so angry. I don't know your name anymore. Boom. <laughs> I'm just like, damn. <laughs> I'm going to cover it up because I'm just so angry at you because this is an angry moment. <laughs> like, not acknowledging that I broke the cat, the, the, the character and just, uh, right. You know? So I did that with the, I just was like, oh, you know what? Or I'm just not going to do that anymore. We're not going to beg for your attention anymore. I'm not mm. shucking and jiving. I'm walking off the stage and that's it. And that's nice. how I end the set. And that's how I end the relationship. And I walked out and everyone was really excited and loved it. And, you mm -hmm. know, I have a friend who's seen a few of my performances and he wasn't, a, he wasn't able to do it because he's an actor and he yeah. was performing that same night. <clears throat> so I did send him the video and I was like the dry mouth and the forgetting. He was like, sorry, this is your best performance ever. Oh man. And so. It's just, I, it's like, a, it's like a raw, like exposed nerve. Basically, mm -hmm. like all of that, you know, like all of the buildup and everything dealing with so much of the, you know, so, so much of what was, you know, what you went through to get there. And then it was just like, do I even want to go up there? And then it was just like, no, I have to go up there. This is what, you know, this is an opportunity that doesn't come along very often. And then getting on that stage and then feeling those, those wonderful, wonderful butterflies that remind you, you belong here. Mm -hmm. If you don't have those butterflies, then why are you there? And the other you thing know? is, is like, how do you, this is my, this is always my issue, generally speaking. And what happened is what I discovered in, in, in the post that I saw that triggered mm -hmm. all of this was yeah. really that I had been running into <clears throat> racism multiple times leading up to it, not with this venue, 
But mm-hmm. in other places, I have ran into it. Not, I'm trying to figure out how to say this and still keep my job. I ran into it at work a few different ways, but yeah. not particularly that work had been doing it. I was warning work that this was going to be an issue mm. with some initiatives they were rolling out. And I was like, this yeah. is in a, your blind spot and you need to be aware of it. So I'm having mm. these conversations. And then I had gotten a poem published and they had done something in a response, in a response email that was wildly racist and so i had oh, to have a whole conversation and be like let me explain mm. to you why your email is full of gatekeeping that is racist along the racisms like this is all racist let me let yeah. me tell you what this word means and this word means and this word <laughs> means and how um, racism 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 and so i had had those experiences packed it away and put it to the side packed it away put it to the side and so i didn't realize i was just also having all these experiences right before that that were mm-hmm. just compounding yeah and so i was worn and tired and mm-hmm. done by the time i saw this other post and so i was just like so all of that was building and creating this like festering wound that i did not realize because i was handling it and moving on handling it moving mm-hmm. on handling it moving on and then i saw this post and i was done and yeah. done and so no more handling yeah i couldn't handle it anymore <laughs> no was, more handling it yeah. there, was, there was no more swallowing and smiling there was no more any of mm-hmm. it and while there was stuff that had been happening for years and that i had known about or experienced with with this organization also like subtly and i you know racism is always going to be there i'm always gonna have to figure out how to navigate it mm-hmm. this was the final straw for me that's what it was but yeah. like, it was also like the final straw with them. And it was the final straw other places simultaneously. Wow. And so it was all like trying to figure out how to navigate, try to figure out how to be my best self and how to be a professional. Because in the end of the day, I'm still going to be an artist. I'm still going to have to navigate these spaces. Mm-hmm. But like Stacey Ann, Stacey Ann Chen said, like you also have to decide when is it worth it and when is it not. For the people who were coming to see me, they did mm-hmm. not deserve a performance where I gave two middle fingers. But for right. me to leave the stage with my integrity, mm-hmm. I had to leave never begging to be there. Yep. I had to leave with my head held high saying, you will never see me shuck and jive for you again. I had to Damn. say that explicitly, that you mm-hmm. will never get another dollar off of me or my community. And I essentially said that if you listen to the words of the final poem, yeah. I explicitly say you will never see me shuck and jive. And you will never make money off of me again. And that's wow. that's what I say all in those same moments. And so I did what I needed to do. People yeah. who knew, like half of the people who came to me knew and half of the people didn't know. But I'm also glad I didn't pull out because there were like eight people who showed up that I didn't know were coming. So yeah. I could not have even gotten to everybody and said, I'm pulling out. I don't know if you can get your refund or not, but I'm not doing this. Like I couldn't have mm-hmm. gotten to all those people and said, this is what's happening. I did have other people who were like, hey, you pull out, we're pulling out and we're gonna demand our refund and we can make a protest about it. Like I had people ready to be on the ground protesting with me about this show because of how jacked up what was said was. And I have the receipts of what was said because some people were like, oh, maybe it's not that bad. I said, word, here's the screenshot. I got the proof for you. Because mm. y'all thinking I'm making this up. And let me give you the history of racism 101 in the United States. And I can tell you why what was said was racist. But if you don't understand it, I can I can tell you why yeah. it was done under the cover of night and why you think it wasn't. But I can explain to you why it was. You mm-hmm. know, I don't say stuff. When I call things out, 
I don't call things out not understanding it. I don't call things out lightly. I am mm-hmm. not one to be like, I'm not one to call everything racism. <laughs> I'm not right. one. Right. To, I'm not one to raise that flag everywhere. I'm not one to pick that fight all the time. That is not mm-hmm. me. I'm even, and I'm the one. Who, I'm one to give a lot of passes because even though impact is more important than intent, I'm always going to consider your intent if I know you care about you or whatever. So yeah. for me to finally get there, I'm gonna be armed. <laughs> I'm gonna be mm-hmm. ready. And so, but I also wanted to do the best show possible because off Broadway is not going to be an option always. Who knows right. when I'm gonna get that chance again? And also, like those people who came came for me. I wanted yep. them to have the best experience of me because some of those people have never seen me perform. Mm-hmm. Like there's family members who have never, people came, I had a family member come from Delaware who has never seen me perform. Wow. Came all the way to Upper West Side to see me perform. And like they left, they were like, yeah, I got to get to Delaware again. I'm, I'm going to hop on the road right now. <laughs> the show was at 930 at night. They were like, yeah, it was 11 when we ended. They were like, yeah, we're going to hop on the road now. Yeah. Back to Delaware. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. People were coming far to see That's me. Great. I am. I wanted to give them what they paid for. And so yeah. you also have to be your professional self. So I'm very grateful for the opportunity. It was amazing. I'm really glad that I did it in the end. Mm-hmm. But it was no easy show. I'm going to tell you that. But that's why Definitely I was crying not. all morning. Because I was still in this like internal war up yeah. until the moment I got to that theater. It was an internal oh, war. But that's oh, why my man. friend was was clucking at me with the bird (laughs) (laughs) so random so so wonderfully random but i mean that's certain things will just kind of help get you through those you know through those moments and when you have those moments and like i'm so proud of you for you know for for getting through for not only having that opportunity but seeing it through to the end and now you can always say, you know, like I have stood on an off-Broadway stage and very, very few people can really say that. And so I hope that all of you have really kind of taken this to heart. Just, you know, when you have these kinds of opportunities, they don't they don't come up very often. But it all it, what what matters at the end is what you do with that opportunity. If you can walk off that stage and with your head held high, just as Dara said, feel that you have given the audience an experience that's worthy of an off-Broadway stage and leaving with your own personal integrity and walking out of there just under, you know, just believing 100% that you put everything you had out there, then the sky's the limit for what you can do. Because once you get that, then it becomes what else can I do? Yeah. So when we were in the dressing room, one of the one of the people back there, we were just talking about like what type of sets we were doing and had mentioned that I was doing a political poem. And this one woman was like, oh, thank goodness, because she when she was doing her original set, when she did this show before, she mm-hmm. was the only person to do a political set and she felt really out of place. And so me saying that I was doing one completely made her feel comfortable. And so three and a half of us, like the last person was a little bit, her politics was a little like softer than us. But right. like we came guns blazing for this show, like whatever really? was going on, we were ready. And she was just she felt so much more ready and comfortable because we were all like, yeah, this is what we do. We come. We ready. We ready today. Yeah. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know. And so you just don't know what you are ready to do or what you, your presence will do for somebody else. So mm-hmm. if you're present and you're ready to do whatever your gift is, whatever your craft is, 
you have no idea who you're speaking life into. You have no idea what your story, what your whether it's the story you're creating or your mm-hmm. story of creation is. You yeah. have no idea who needs to hear it. And, and so how the, they need to hear it. And yeah. how they need to hear it. And you, so knowing now that despite how hard it was for me to get on that stage, knowing now that I got approached about that show years mm-hmm. ago and yeah. I stuck around until the opportunity was really presented to me again, mm-hmm. that may be a story for you to say, okay, maybe that door didn't open now, or maybe I made the mistake of not jumping, but you know what? I'm going to wait until it opens again, or I'm going to make it open for me again. Or you know what? When the opportunity comes, I'm not going to be like her and not jump. I'm mm-hmm. not going to doubt my network or whatever. I'm going to go jump now because yeah. I don't want to lose all those years. Whatever mm-hmm. that case is, like, do, like, be present, be ready, go, jump, do. Yep. I mean, that's the best advice I can give you from this story. Just can't, be, and, and, can't, and know and your integrity while you can't think it. of, cannot think of a better way to really kind of put a button on all of this. You know, like you see that opportunity, you get it, you grab it, you make the most of it. You get that message out because just like you said, you never know who needs to hear it, how they need to hear it, where they need to hear it or when they need to hear it. You know, it's some, a lot of times it just happens to be that great moment in your life when you need to hear exactly what is being said. So I am so thrilled for Dara for taking that opportunity, for making the most of it, for walking off that stage with her integrity intact, for getting through the entire performance. It is just an, an incredible accomplishment and I hope nothing but the best for her, of course, and for all of you. And so for Dara Kalima, this is George Soroy saying to all of you, Ever Upward, and I will see you next week. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Excelsior Journeys. I hope it was both inspiring and entertaining. Special thanks to Zach Comtois for providing new music for the intro and outro. Please take a moment to leave a rate and review on Apple Podcasts. And if you enjoy the show, please share it with your friends and subscribe to your platform of choice by going to he'sgotit.com slash podcasts. While there, you can also fill out the application to be a guest, inquire about sponsorship opportunities, and click on the Buy Me a Coffee link if you wish to give your support to the show. All interaction is very much appreciated. If you have a question, comment, or suggestion for the show, please direct it to george at he'sgotit.com.